So just while we were recording this pod, there was uh, some massive, massive news. Toronto Maple Leaf center and superstar Austin Matthews has signed a four-year contract at $13.25 million average annual value. Uh, so yes, it is a no-fun league. Austin Matthews will not be going to free agency, and he will end up getting paid another massive contract in four years. That's all, folks. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome back. It's uh, It's been a while, and here we are for episode 30 of the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast. On behalf of myself, James Percy, and my co-host, Aiden Sarah, we are stoked to welcome you back after this brief hiatus. And speaking of my co-host, how are you doing, fella? I'm not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. Like, And I we were talking just before, while we were preparing to do this episode, and we were kind of like, well, if there was a month to miss... It was probably this month because we've got some contract extensions. We've got one big trade, but aside from that, it's it's been it's been the slowest month of NHL news that we've seen in a little bit here. But we got a blockbuster, and I'm sure that's what we'll lead with. I mean, yeah, we're the, exactly what we're talking about, and anyone listening knows exactly what we're talking about. Eric Carlson to the Pittsburgh Penguins, EK sixty five. As I affectionately refer to him, Eric, Eric, uh, I I love the guy. I am a massive Eric Carlson fan. Um, years of playing NHL and him being dominant, watching him absolutely rip apart playoffs and was that 2017? Uh, yeah, it's just, oh, I'm a massive fan of Eric Carlson and I... I will thoroughly enjoy seeing him have one of the greatest players of all time to pass to. Um, however, they set up that power play is going to be very exciting. Um, I can pull up the exact trade here. It's a, it's a bit of a whopper in terms of where all the pieces go. In terms of the trade itself, what walk me through your initial thoughts. Because I had just woken up and my buddy, who's a diehard Penguins fan was at my apartment and he was just like oh it happens <laughs> so my, my initial reaction was okay let's run through this whole thing this is this is wild yeah there was a lot of moving parts so pittsburgh gets eric carlson dylan hamaliuk who is a, a ahl piece as of right now a 2026 third round pick and Rem Pitlick from the Montreal Canadiens. Pitlick is a bottom six forward NHLer right now. That's probably his ceiling, but he could, he's going to be an effective player for Pittsburgh. You always need those bottom six guys to fill in. Probably a guy that could step into the second power play unit if they've got some injuries. The I actually starts. don't mind Rem Pitlick one bit. No, I think I don't think you should be upset if he's in your bottom six. That is not a weakness for those bottom two lines at all. Um, the San Jose Sharks get a 2024 first round pick from the Pittsburgh Penguins, Mikhail Granlund, Jan Ruda, and Mike Hoffman from the Montreal Canadiens. So that is, of course, where we're going to go. It's the third team in the trade is Montreal. They get a 2025 second round pick from Pittsburgh, Jeff Petrie from Pittsburgh, who they flipped to Detroit days later. 
um, Casey DeSmith from Pittsburgh and Nathan Laguerre from Pittsburgh. Um, you know, like we've talked about it on this podcast that my philosophy here is, you know, who just won the Stanley Cup, the Vegas Golden Knights. What have the Vegas Golden Knights been in the last six years? Absolutely ruthless with their player transactions. And they have done nothing but strive for, uh, strive to be the best team in the league. And for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I understand you know, wanting to use the last couple of years of Crosby and Malkin's career just to try and compete. But James, the first, and you asked for my first thought, the first thought I had of this trade is that's great. That still does not put Pittsburgh. I don't even, I don't even want to say that puts Pittsburgh as a lock to make the playoffs. I, I don't see them as a playoff lock. And so again, if they, and obviously they do, if, if they're going to try and be a Stanley cup contender, I still think more has to happen, but you look at that Pittsburgh Penguins team and unless they're trading first round picks, years down the line they've got nothing to give to try and get assets in return uh just the one thing i want to be super clear on is uh um montreal retained no salary uh none of eric carlson's salary they took three quarters of jeff petrie's contract that was like the whole deal so really they take three quarters of a jeff petrie and then flip them to detroit get a fourth round pick a second round pick Laguerre is like a fringe prospect who might make the NHL at some point. I've seen him play actually once in just a couple highlight videos to see what he's like. Actually not a bad player. And then Casey DeSmith, that just kind of bogs up their goaltending. And so one of their goalies will get traded for another pick. So they just got a few draft picks for existing. Yeah, I realized I was super unclear with that, that Pittsburgh got rid of the Petrie contract in Montreal. I think I said 25%, but that was how much they didn't get. So they have seven. Yeah. So Pittsburgh's paying Eric Carlson 10 million of his 11.5 million. And they are, they are retaining 1.6 million ish of Jeff Petrie. So like it's, they did dump some contracts though, like losing the Grandland contract. That one wasn't a fantastic contract. No, and it's for a player that, like, I really, really, really loved Mikhail Granlund as yeah. a young player with the Minnesota Wild. I thought he was a superb top six center. He was one of those, like, he could probably be a 1B if he's your first line center, but he was one of the best second line centers in the league was the way I saw him. He's on a $5 million ticket, and it's not just the points production that has gone down since he was traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins and in and, and his last, you know, couple seasons with Nashville if you watch the guy play his effectiveness on the ice has dwindled he is not the same engaged player off the puck that he used to be when he was in his prime with Minnesota he just he doesn't have that tenacity he doesn't have that drive to get the puck that made him a fan favor with the wild he had a couple seasons where he was right up there kissing 70 points and he looks like a completely different guy so for the Pittsburgh Penguins I thought it was a mistake acquiring him and they move him to a San Jose team where at the very least he can be a mentor to the, the William Ecklins as the Sharks, you know, they'll keep him. I'm sure they won't buy him out. He has two years left on this deal. He'll finish off with San Jose. Um, And I will agree with you uh, on your biggest point there that, that it's not a lock they make playoffs, but I think in getting rid of a lot of pieces that didn't help you very much and replacing those pieces with, uh, with Riley Smith and Eric Carlson, I think they are a significantly better team than they were before those two moves. No, I don't disagree with you, but you know, like the thing that's happening in the Eastern Conference, especially right now, is you're getting 
I, I think it started last year a little bit and it's going to continue this year and next year in this three year period. You're going to have teams that have been so good for so long fall down and teams that have been trying to rebuild for a while come up. I'm talking about Detroit, Ottawa, Montreal, Buffalo especially is going to be on the upswing and teams Pittsburgh, Washington and Boston who have been so strong for so long. Even the Tampa Bay Lightning are starting to you know creep into that category of of playoff locks that very very quickly are not going to become playoff locks anymore we saw pittsburgh miss the playoffs this year for the first time in a long time and james i still right now have them on the outside looking in not only do i have them on the outside looking in i i did my predictions i currently have them sixth in the metro and i'm sure we'll do predictions closer to the season i might change that around a little bit but this pittsburgh team i just i don't see having the legs to go the distance what what five teams do you have ahead of them in the metro uh, New Jersey in first, the Rangers, the Hurricanes, and then the hot takes, Columbus and the Islanders. I got. I can't. Oh, I can't agree with either of those. I have Columbus barely missing out to the Florida Panthers as the second wild card team. Oh, so you have Boston making playoffs? I do. So it's yeah. my Atlantic is one Toronto. Here's the other hot take: two Buffalo. Three, what? Three Tampa Bay, four Boston, five Florida. Aiden, what has been going on in your brain since our last episode? Listen, I, well, you talked about wanting to do like a best new player for this podcast and we can do it after. I prepared a bunch of stuff just for this episode and the next couple where we do, you know, like lead up to the season and whatnot. Okay. And again, like I said, I'm not going to go through everything because I still, as the rosters get solidified, I'm going to, I'm probably going to make some tweaks. My thinking with the Buffalo Sabres, I I've got Devin Levi in the Vezina conversation. I don't think I put him down as a final. What? But this guy is going to really turn some heads this year. I've got Tage Thompson as a Hart Trophy finalist, and I've got Rasmus Dahlin as a Norris Trophy finalist. I think this is the this is the year for the Buffalo Sabres that you just see these guys all break out. And you know what? It was last year. Dylan Cousins was touching 70 points. You had Jack Quinn, who emerged as a solid player. J.J. Paterka is only going to keep getting better. Rasmus Dahlin finally had his breakout season. Owen Power was a Calder candidate. The only thing I saw them missing was a goalie. And in Devin Levi, they have one of the most athletic and skilled goaltenders that I've seen in a long time. And I'm really, really excited to see what this team can do. And then you pair that, like I said, with the fact that the top teams in the Eastern Conference are on the downswing. The Tampa Bay Lightning were underwhelming in those playoffs last year. You saw guys that historically have dominated just not be themselves. Victor Hedman is not Victor Hedman anymore, and I think we have to start accepting Okay, that. that's one one-off season, though. Like, like, we can't count the guy out after just the one year. Well, you know what? If he was 26 years old, I'd absolutely agree with you, but he's 32. I know, 32, but we're talking 32, not 35. No, I, I know what you mean, but again... It's, it's we're talking an athletic freak and a, a a creation of of if you want to create your perfect hockey player and you're building it from scratch height uh physicality skills this hockey sense you you create a victor headman i don't think it's over no i you know what and they had mikhail sergachev take a step next year and i do have them in the playoffs i got them in the third place in that uh in that atlantic division so i'm not saying that they're Do you gonna... have any buddies that are Tampa fans? Um, we we went to school with our buddy Matt Klein, who's a Lightning fan. I think that's it. I don't think you ever I... talked to any Tampa fans about Sergachev? Um, not that I can recall. 
the the most accurate description they ever give me is riverboat gambler that's funny i can see that in his game you have zero idea what is going to happen as soon as that guy steps on the ice most of the time it's great but because he takes risks it's frightening sometimes yeah i definitely i can see where that's coming from for sure but yeah i guess uh we, we've gone off on a couple tangents here uh one of the one of the random things that popped to my mind over the course of of all the info you just tossed at me is uh have you noticed how much the, the hockey media world really desperately wants connor hellebuck to get traded to buffalo I sort of have seen I've every, seen too much. Every mock trade done by any sports media outlet, uh, I typically follow the score and Sportsnet most. Uh, I it's just like they want Connor Hellebuck to Buffalo so bad, and I don't get it. I don't get it at all. It, I think you get a one B if you're getting anything for the return he would command from Winnipeg. That would be quite silly for buffalo to make that deal especially like i said i have devin levi i in my preparation i had um each major award with three finalists and an honorable mention hellebuck wasn't in my top three for the Vezina this year and levi was my honorable mention so it's it's something that like i understand young players getting overhyped is very very much a a thing that will happen every single year but it just feels like in Buffalo's case, they're they're taking these steps and it's just 47 goals and 94 points for Tage Thompson last year. He's no joke. He is he's officially a dominant first line center and, and he's gonna be right at the front of that ship driving it into into the playoffs. And and again, this is all talking about, you know, in essence, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we're talking about Pittsburgh. And to me, I if every player stays fully healthy all year. I can see them in the playoffs, but a how often does that happen to any team? And b how often does that happen to a team whose primary, you know, top four or five players are all on the wrong side of thirty-two years old? I have them as like an like an eighth seed, maybe a seventh seed at best. Like I haven't done a full predictions on on standings, but they are in my bubble of either the two te- two teams in or two teams out. And I don't feel confident saying either because you know what? You could bet against Sidney Crosby on a not very, not very optimal Penguins team all you want. It has only gone against him once on suboptimal teams. He's managed to squeak into playoffs and lose in the first round multiple times. So, you know what? I, I'm not ready to count him out. Um, I don't have faith in Detroit for some reason whatsoever. I don't think their time is even relatively now. I love a couple of the additions they've made. I don't love a couple. I'm not going to single any of them out exactly right now because, you know, analyzing specific teams top to bottom, that could take a while. Um, Ottawa, I kind of like it. Their forwards confuse me. I don't know how they're like, they have a couple insane forwards. I don't know how they're sorting out their depth. I don't see a lot of guys in their bottom six that inspire um, grittiness and dominance. Buffalo, I like Buffalo in playoffs. I do. I really do. Columbus, I've, I don't. I've got Ottawa taking another step forward. I have them missing the playoffs. I They need a goalie. 
They need a number one guy. They need Connor. It's not, it, it could be Mads Shogard. We don't know. Yeah. And, and if he takes a huge step forward this year, it definitely could be. I think they'll be in the playoffs when Boston misses. They'll take that Bruins spot in the Atlantic division. You know right. what? I have the Detroit Red Wings taking a step back this year. I don't like a lot of the summer moves. I think, and you know what? Again, it's, 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 Based on a gut feeling as much as anything, I think Dylan Larkin does not have the same season he's had in the last couple after signing that contract. I I, I don't know what is really compelling me to say that. I don't know if it's just maybe a lack of faith in Alex Dabrinkit after the year he had in Ottawa. He's going to be happier in Detroit, I think. But I don't think Detroit is is pushing playoffs until you've got the the Simon Edvinson, Marco Casper, Nate Danielson um, group kind of taking over and obviously Larkin will be the first line center still for that group. He's young enough to still be a part of that core. That's going to make that push for the playoffs. But sidebar, what is Marco Casper? Marco Casper is, I actually think Marco Casper and Nate Danielson are going to grow and make one of the most effective second line, third line center combos for years to come. Which one's the third liner? Probably Casper Detroit to me needs a first line center past Larkin, but really, um, well, and I'm talking Stanley Cup aspirations. I just, I don't, still Larkin's 27 years old, which logically means he's got four years, five years of prime left. I don't see the Red Wings as cup contenders for four or five years. I think they're young. I think his game could last past age 32. Definitely. And and if, if it's him, it's him. Or if Detroit are bad enough this year, maybe it's Macklin Celebrini, right? Regardless, I think any strong first line center Every team wants one, and if Detroit gets one, or if it's still Dylan Larkin with Danielson as the two and Casper as the three, is really, really, really good. But I think expecting Casper to be a first-line center or even a second-line center behind Danielson is probably a little bit too, you know, it's it's too optimistic, I think. Casper and Danielson were both very safe picks as far as their slam-dunk players to be NHLers, but their ceilings aren't high. Right. I think their ceilings are second line center, middle six center for both of them. And I love Danielson. I was his biggest fan all year. And I, I kind of felt vindicated when he went in the top 10 because I had him super high and everybody kind of told me I was stupid. But <laughs> but you were smart. Did you pat yourself on the back? Like, actually, I, I was very fired up. Maybe like the little dirt off your shoulder thing? Because I had gone to so many games for both uh, to watch him and to watch Braden Jaeger, and I could not understand why so many people had Jaeger above him. And, and but you still like Jaeger. I don't mind Jaeger at all. I think he's going to be an effective second-line center as well, but it, I just saw Danielson as clear, as clear of him all year, and eventually that feeling was corroborated by at least Steve Eiserman. <laughs> Yes, my Penguins fan friend looks forward to collecting Braden Yeager's hockey cards. So yeah, Montreal does flip Jeff Petrie to the team we were just talking about, the Detroit Red Wings. Detroit's back end is very interesting. I don't like Justin Hall as a hockey player. I think Do you like Jake Wallman? I've I feel like I haven't seen Jake Wallman play since his stint since his uh brief few games in St. Louis. Yeah, I think six seven and by brief few games, I mean like isn't that a complete season of barely playing, but like it felt like he barely played. Yeah, I I don't mind him as a bottom pairing guy, but it seems like they've clogged it up for Edvinson to again not make the team. Simone Edvinson yeah. is was a sixth overall pick or something. Like this guy needs to get in there. And 
I, I like him. He's a good puck moving defenseman. He's very smart. He's a smooth skater. And he's not why they have Jake Wallman in that spot. So they can like be like, oh, well, if Edvinson has a really good camp. Yeah, but they also got Justin Hall, Jeff Petrie, and they got Ben Sherratt last summer. It just seems like yeah. that defense core is, and I get, yeah, they traded Philip Peronic to Vancouver. But yeah, to me, it's just that defense core seems like it's it's just getting clogged up. And I don't really understand why they're putting those blocks in place for their young players. Because again, I just, I, I think Tyler Bertuzzi was a very important player for them, just in terms of the 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 drive he brought. I think I think he did a good job of leading by example as far as, other players built off his effort level and again I like Larkin as a player I have a similar feeling towards Dylan Larkin that I do to Clayton Keller where it's the all the skill in the world factor it's just the if you if if you took an element of 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 even like the Tyler Bertuzzi and put it into Larkin or Keller they would be this unstoppable force it's just that it's and you know what it's <laughs> for lack of a better term it's just that <laughs> it's the it's the dog in him factor it's the when there's a loose puck in the corner Dylan Larkin it's it's you're never 100% sure it's Dylan Larkin's puck and with Tyler Bertuzzi you knew he was going to fish that puck out you knew that every single shift he wasn't going to get out worked and i don't i just for Detroit i feel like they've got a bunch of guys Larkin even Alex to bring it to an extent i feel the the same way about him where it, it, it's 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 a bunch of very talented players that need to to mesh together, and I'm just not bought. I I I'm not sold on the fact that that team is going to come together this season. I I think it's coming because the talent, both in the pipeline and on the roster, is undeniable. But I think the rest of the Atlantic Division is taking a a bigger step forward than them, or the teams that are taking a step back haven't taken a far enough step back for Detroit to pass them. I have a thought. We keep saying all these teams are coming. They're all they're all taking steps forward. They're all on their way. But, you know, you look back at years past when multiple bad teams are all building at the same time. Some of them never make it. Well, the Vancouver Canucks is a good example, right? Like they were totally, totally were in the rear view mirror for a while. And and again, this this is the best that Patterson and Hughes look like they've ever been. Kuzmenko scored almost 40 goals last year. But still like i think i think i had vancouver in the playoffs but I, if i did yeah they were wild card too ahead of calgary and that's a toss-up for me of vancouver calgary eight nine like it's it's like did florida not build for 15 years straight at one point well they did and they became i mean they made the stanley cup final last year right and it was they did come but it's yeah it's well, and it's the Buffalo Sabres until now. Buffalo, I I don't I cannot. Buffalo's recall. been through like four different rebuilds in my no three yeah. different rebuilds in my hockey watching lifetime. They were sick when I started watching hockey. They were sick up until I was probably like thirteen. Yeah, they had just kind of fallen off when I remember starting. And yeah, it's it's you're at the point where I I think the perfect storm. We're in the middle of it in the Eastern Conference of the like the Pittsburgh and Washington missing the playoffs this year is the sign of change coming. We'll see exactly. We'll see exactly what. Uh, I think this change is going to be very gradual. Well, I, I like I said, I think it's happening over three years. 
I think okay, okay, I can take it. that. I think this year is the second part of it, and next year we'll see we'll see Ottawa pass Boston, right? I think that's uh, find me two two top six centers, and Boston can stay in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and but how? But tell me any team that's very quickly found two top six centers. That's the difficult part for the Bruins, and not to mention, like much like the Pittsburgh Penguins, because Boston's been so good for so long, they they lack the assets to really make a splash in a trade, right? They lack the 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 young players in the pipeline. Fabian Lysel is probably their number one prospect. They have that that Lurai kid. Yeah, it's a bunch of B. It's okay, prospects. it's a bunch of B prospects, and B prospects sometimes hit. Yeah. But I'm not a huge Fabian Lysel fan at all, man. And I just some I, people really are. Some people are very high on him. I, I hear such differing opinions all the time. It's the same thing for me with Lysel that I was just talking about with Debrinket, where I see so much skill in the guy. It's just like, can you, <laughs> can you go on the ice with the right mindset, and can you be, can you be what you need to be both off the puck and defensively to be a good NHL player? Um, he doesn't he, feel like a Bruin at all. Oh no, he's the complete opposite. Like when Tyler Bertuzzi got traded there, that's a Bruin, right? <laughs> Lysel, Lysel isn't. We've yeah, no, we we're still kind of on number two because we talked a little bit about Petrie. Um, Jonathan Taves won't play hockey this year. We know that now. He doesn't want to retire yet. He has not announced his retirement. He hopes to come back next season, but he's not going to play this year. And this is really now. There's nobody left in Chicago. Right. We are very, very much now in the this is the fully rebuilding, no real semblance of the dynasty, no real signs that <laughs> nothing left of what once was with the Chicago Blackhawks organization. We is are, their longest tenured player right now not Connor Murphy? It's I think so. I was thinking about that. I was trying to think if anybody else was really left. It's Connor Murphy. Yeah. That's really sad. And the Chicago Blackhawks, like James, this draft, obviously Connor Bedard. Like we're not we don't need to say how effective or and how impactful Connor Bedard's gonna be to the organization. Listen, man, Oliver Moore. Oliver Moore is filthy. He's disgustingly good. There is no reason 18 picks were made ahead of him. I still cannot fathom that. Like, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, like he was in our top 10 or he was 11th, I think, on ours. And I didn't think he would get to 11. That was a little bit wishful thinking because Vancouver was there. Um, our buddy, Jeremy, had him at five. <laughs> like, this this is a guy that everybody looked at as the stud. And then it just went pick after pick. After Why did everyone pass on him? That's all I want to know. What, I, what did he, Do you think he interviewed badly? Like, like I just want to know. I haven't heard much. You know, like, you have. What, we're, in his, we're in his central scouting rankings, like, early 10s. Like yeah, 12 no, they, they were they were well ahead of where he went and and you look at some of the guys ahead of him and i think honestly james it's it's the it, everybody kind of had a different factor where you can go down the list well montreal at five which is the earliest he probably ever would have gone right-handed defenseman reinbacher arizona the whole draft arizona just drafted for size i've never seen a team so blatantly drafting like six foot two players and above they draft the big defenseman Simashev at six. They draft the big winger Daniel Boot at 12, which to me is that's my worst pick of the first round. <laughs> um, Philadelphia takes Mishkov at seven. That was the right pick. Ryan Leonard is a bulldog. He's a very tenacious player. He has a lot of upside. Washington, Nate, nothing wrong with that. 
Detroit takes Danielson a nine. Again, I have no problem with that. That's a very, very high floored player where he's 100% going to be an effective NHLer. I think Oliver Moore has a higher ceiling. Dvorsky to St. Louis at 10. Again, you're drafting a big center with size. Tom Vlander to Vancouver at 11, right-handed defenseman. Zach Benson at Buffalo at 13 to me. Again, I love Benson. That's a fine. Benson at 13 is ridiculous. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that to me. And yeah, I think he felt he should have been a top 10 pick, no doubt. Jaeger at 14, I don't understand it. I don't. Moore is twice the player Jaeger is in my head. Likewise with Matthew Wood at 15. But Jaeger, people swing for the prospective high ceiling, right? Well, and that's that was the swing with Matthew Wood to Nashville at 15. Matthew Wood was a total point machine in the NCAA this season. He looks very NHL ready. But you know what, man? <laughs> if you watch him, his skating is not at an NHL level. And so many of his points came when he was stationary on the power play. He is not yet at the level where he can use his body and use his footwork to produce points at the NHL level. And then you've got Samuel Honsek at 16, Axel Sandin Pelica 17 to Detroit, Colby Barlow 18 to Winnipeg, and then finally Moore 19 to Chicago. So Chicago, you know, Bedard's going to step in right away. Oliver Moore has, you know, he's going to have at least next year without a doubt. I'm going to go out and say he's at the University of Minnesota for another year after that, but then he steps in. Bedard and Moore is going to be a disgusting one too. That is going to be a better first, second line center combo than they won every Stanley Cup with. I was just trying. I was running through all of their second line centers in my head. I think my favorite one was Brad Richards. Yeah, and it was a Brad Richards. You know, like I'm not saying Oliver Moore. Patrick Kane, Brad Richards. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying Moore is going to be better than prime Brad Richards. But the Richards that won the cup in Chicago was well, well past his prime. It was still an effective player. Don't get me wrong. Still won that cup though. Yeah, but it was a, a late '30s Brad Richards who Brad Richards, man, he's got to be one of the most underrated players of that generation. He was yep. so good. Yep. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I I was a huge Brad Richards fan. I still remember if you went back and played the uh, like late two thousands, early twenty tens NHL games. Um, if you lucked out, you could get both Brad Richards and Eric Stahl in free agency in a couple year span. And uh, and I just remember I would pick a terrible team and just hope that I could get both of them. That was my goal. But yeah, I um, I really like Oliver Moore, and I want to see more of him. No pun intended. Um, where's he? Where's he? He's going to college next year, right? Yeah, University of Minnesota. Oh, okay. Do they have a stacked roster coming in? Or are they one of those? Are they they loaded up? a good team. University of Minnesota always has a good team. Yeah, and that's Minnesota Duluth. Um, yeah, because Mankato is yeah defined as Mankato. Yeah. So quickly, before we talk about some other contracts, uh, quick Canuck corner for you. Elias Pettersson apparently reportedly not in a rush to sign an extension, which this is, you know, at least he's not a UFA. But the longer this goes on, the more, you know, the more kind of worry there is. <laughs> um, Like, I think he's earned a $10 million ticket without a doubt. 102 points last year, one of the best two-way forwards in the league. I think if you're Vancouver, you got to get it done as good as, as fast as possible. Um, there's nowhere to go but up for this guy, especially with Kuzmenko on his wing. I, yeah. Um, speaking of Canucks centers, they do sign Pia Suter. I love it. 
I love it a lot. I don't, I didn't think Teddy Bluger was good enough to be their third line center. That was the guy they signed first in free agency. I really like Bluger as a fourth line center. I just didn't see him as good enough as to fill the top nine spot. I loved Pia Suter in Chicago in his rookie year. It was the COVID, you know, the, the, the COVID shortened season on the front end where everything started late and it was whatever the 50 some games. He had 14 goals, 27 points in 55 games. 36 points in 82 games with Detroit the next season. Took a little step back with the Red Wings, but again, for $1.6 million, I, I'm taking this and I'm I'm laughing. This is an effective third-line center who can play both ends of the ice, who can put up some points, second power play unit. and Yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. I think the Canucks are in a solid spot. Like I said, I referred to it earlier. I think it's between them and Calgary and Seattle for those two of those three teams are going to be the last two wildcard teams the way I'm looking at it because the LA Kings are taking a big step forward this year with Pierre-Luc Dubois. All right, okay, uh, quick run through. Love the suitor signing. I think it's great. I think it's solid maneuver. Um, it's, it would be very Canucks fan-like to uh, have a mind-boggling freakout uh, just from seeing Pedersen, quote-unquote, not in a rush. Um, there's lots of time. It'll be okay. I, I I really don't worry about him very much. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I th- I think I think I yeah the suitor signing is nice. Um, I have Vancouver as a fringe team, as per usual. Um, maybe not in that seven to ten spot. Maybe in the eight to ten spot. I have them battling it out to the bitter end, but. Um, it wouldn't be, I don't know. Uh, I hesitate to say this cause I don't want to make anyone sad, but it wouldn't be a Canucks season without one monumental losing streak that just pisses everyone off and makes everyone question the direction of life. Yeah. I hope it's not at the beginning of the year this time. That's probably my only request. Cause that was, I that totally was- agree. I'm sick of that storyline. I really don't enjoy it. Uh, that was hard. Um, especially like how many games in a row it was losing the lead. Yeah. Um, so we got some, both some free agent signings and some re-signings, or I should say not both. There's one extension signing. Um, yeah, extensions. But Vladimir Tarasenko to the Ottawa Senators. We were talking about Ottawa. His name didn't come up. I like it a lot. Supplement that that top six. I think it's, I think him plus Dominic Kubalik will equal what Alex Demirka would have produced. I, I truly believe that. I think, Tarasenko, 20, 25 goal upside. Dominic Kubelik, 15, 20 goal upside. Put that together. I, I didn't see Alec Debrunkett hitting 40 in Ottawa next year. Um, but you've also got Drake Batherson, who's going to take a step forward. The biggest wild card on this team, James, is Josh Norris. I had him pegged for 40 last year. He got hurt right at the beginning of the year. What about Pinto Beans? I like Shane Pinto a lot. He's going to be the third line center. But I think it could be a really effective third line center. Score 40 points easily. But to me, it's Norris. I think this whole team... You're going to have Tim Stutzla getting another point-per-game season. You're going to have Batherson up there, 70 points. Brady Kachuk is going to get close to point-per-game. You've got Jacob Chikrin on the back line now to supplement Thomas Shabbat and to supplement Jake Sanderson. So, to me, it's it's the, is Josh Norris going to – he scored 36 goals in 60-some games the year before he got hurt. Is Norris going to break out? He's going to have, Is he going to score 40 goals and be just another threat? Because this Ottawa team, if if – you know, like Kachuk and Stutzla took big steps forward. 
if Batherson and Norris follow this year, and if even if you have Vladimir Tarasenko, like I said, 25 goals and a 15-goal Dominic Kubalik and a Shane Pinto to score 40 points, that's still a lot of offense that's coming out. And the defense gets better. I think they're a goalie away from being a lock playoff team. And if it's Sogard, it's Sogard. Yeah, you know, I don't hate that. Um, yeah, that's a, a solid rundown. Uh, I'm very, very, very curious to see how Tarasenko produces and more interestingly, who he plays with. Because with that Ottawa top six, it's always interesting to see how these guys are going to line up. Is it going to be some combination of like Giroud, uh, Stutzla, Kachuk? Norris, Batherson. I think Tarasenko. I, I think he ends up with Kachuk and Stutzla, and then you see Giroux play with Norris and Batherson, and then Shane Pinto with Kubalik and Matthew Joseph on that third line. Yeah, and I, I don't hate that. I, I I don't at all. It, it sounds nice, but I just yeah, I, I just I wonder how long they put their their lines in a blender, like you know, like when. When do they find it? Because that was the big thing for me last year. Well, and we should say they did sign Jonas Corpusala, right? So we're talking about Shogard as their backup. I think Shogard beats out Anton Forsberg for the number two spot. Corpusalo is a guy that's super hit or miss. But if he hits, he hits, right? And all of a sudden, the Senators have themselves a real, real goaltender. Okay, well, there's one more. Ex- there's a few more extensions for us to talk about, but there's one that I really, really want to get to because this one in my group chat with my buddies inspired some debate. Um, my perspective, I will give you after. Tom Wilson, seven times six point five in Washi. What do you got? I don't love it. He's a valuable player, but. Seven years is starting after this season. So he's going to be paid $6.5 million until he's 37 years old on a team that right now, if they traded him, probably could have got a significant amount back. And I think that's the route they should have gone. Washington is a team to me that's currently kind of in the same vein as Pittsburgh, except they're worse by a lot. (laughs) I I don't see much good in that team right now. You've got Ovechkin, who's good for 40 goals. You've got Dylan Strom there, who's going to get between 50 and 60 points. Evgeny Kuznetsov, it seems like his time there has come to an end, so we're just kind of waiting for him to get traded. But this isn't a team to me that's going to be competitive. This is a team that is going to win some games because some top-end talent is going to score. And I think Tom Wilson would have been much better suited to Washington having been traded and getting something back because they don't have a lot of guys that they're going to be able to trade for. Like, I don't think they're going to get as much for Kuznetsov as they would have got for Wilson, to be honest with you. And I think paying a guy six and a half million bucks until he's 37 years old is going to backfire immediately, especially on a team that isn't win now or win soon. See, I knew that's exactly the route you were going to go. Yeah. And that's why I'm stoked to give my point of view. Okay. All right, well, point number one, Tom Wilson is a fan favorite. When Ovechkin retires, you got to have someone around that the fans actually care about. That is massive. Someone has to keep fans in the seats, keep fans watching, keep fans buying jerseys, keep fans just engaged with the team in some sense. 
Washington's going to need a captain after Ovi. Who but Tom Wilson? A fan favorite. A guy everybody just loves. A guy people love to talk about. A guy people love to hate. Okay, point number three. Salary cap is slated to continually go up. You know, back half of that... Back half of that contract, considering what else Washington will probably have on that roster, I really, really don't care about $6.5 million in Tom Wilson's pocket. In fact, I think it's money well spent to have someone to come teach the young guys as they roll in. Uh, considering the uh, rough-and-tumble prospect they picked in this year's draft, I think Tom Wilson is the perfect mentor for him. Yeah, and if it was not seven years, I wouldn't dislike it as much. And you know what? The salary cap going up is going to be a big, big plus for the Anaheim Ducks who get Troy Terry done seven by seven. Again, if you look at his last two seasons, you can kind of make the case that it has it justifies seven million dollars. Uh, he would have been close. 67 points in 75 games and then 61 points in 70 games. Keep in mind that first season, 67 points was in the form of 37 goals. He only had 23 last year. But this is a guy that's going to be a top six forward for the Ducks for their seven years now. And I think at the end of this contract, he's 25 years old. When he's 30, 31, 32, 33, it's going to age pretty well. I like this player. I think he's good in every everything you can ask of him. He does a good job at everything you you require of him. He will excel. And for me, with the Anaheim Ducks, you've got Leo Carlson coming. You've got Trevor Zegras still there, Mason McTavish. It's it's it looks good, and I like it a lot for them. And I think, much like the next two or three contracts we're going to talk about, it's one that's going to age because of the salary cap increase. Sebastian Ajo, eight years, nine point seven five million dollars a season. Was there ever any doubt that this contract was going to get signed and it was going to be around this much money? No, this is exactly what he deserves and exactly what you'd expect it to be. Sebastian Ajo is a first-line center. He's very good at everything. He scores. He passes the puck well. He's smart. He's good two-way. He's good without the puck. He He's excellent. I love him. 38 goal career high. Came in just 68 games in 1920. Had a slight regression on points last year, just 67 in 75 games. But keep in mind that that was quite a tumultuous season for the Carolina Hurricanes as far as the injuries that that forward core had. I think you can count on him to be a point-per-game player, and to me, this is great for Carolina, who's going to contend for the next few years with him leading the ship. Honestly, like I can't even find anything relatively interesting to say about this contract. It, it, yeah, it, it's, it's exactly what it should be, and it's exactly what we expected. Here's a contract that kind of came out of nowhere to me. Brandon Hagel, eight years at $6.5 million a season with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He had a great year. He had a phenomenal season. And before he got traded to Tampa the year before, he was having a really, really solid rookie season. He was on pace for 30 before he got traded to Tampa and didn't have a carved out role. Sophomore, but yeah, he was. He that was one, good. yeah. 30 goals, 64 points in 81 games last year. I... <laughs> I would have liked to see another year. I think it was I think this is a this is a gamble for the Lightning because he was This is RFA. the Tampa method. Yeah. This is what they do. Yeah, I know. He was an RFA after this season after 23-24. Uh 
So if he has another 30 plus goal, 65 plus point season, you're probably paying him more than 6.5 million bucks. So it's just going to be, you know, like we're guessing about this guy. He's 24 years old. So even then this takes him until he's 32. You saw Tampa Bay sign Nick Paul to a long-term deal. They're locking up some guys that they want to have continuing on with this team. And, you know, I don't hate it, but I think the real test is just how this goes this year, because if Brandon Hagel has a 20 goal, 40 point season, you probably could have gone him for a lot cheaper when his contract expires next summer. If he goes out, he scores 40, 40, 80, suddenly 6.5 million bucks looks like a massive, massive bargain. You know what? It, it caught me off guard. I will say it really did, especially because, you know, there's that whole tax situation there where I thought they maybe could have got him a little bit cheaper, maybe. Um, like, I don't like that. Tra- that could translate to, I don't know, like maybe even like up to 7.5 in a different market. And like, is are we now saying Brandon Hagel's worth 7.5? Maybe, maybe he is worth 7.5 to the average team. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, but the the thing I kind of see with it is they really liked what they saw down the stretch. And when some of their top guys may have gone cold, he was consistently Brandon Hagel. So I, I, I don't dislike it. I don't love it. It's kind of just a contract to me. It's there. Um, the next one we're going to talk about, though, I really like that one. Take it away, Aiden. It's weird. I was very shocked that Vince Dunn only signed a four-year contract. It's four years at $7.35 million, kind of much like Hagel. This is a guy who's had solid seasons but broke out last year, 14 goals and 64 points in 81 games with the Seattle Kraken. He's 26 years old. I, I did not expect him to sign a four-year contract until he was 30 right? Like at 30 years old, is he going to be able to cash in again? That's the one thing I always think when I see these guys sign short-term contracts, my thought immediately goes to, well, are you going to then on your next deal get money again? Right? Like I, I think 7 million bucks on an eight-year contract is what I expected for him. And, you know, like I like the number for Seattle, for a guy that will be probably one of their top two defensemen for years or for four years at least. But it was a little odd to me that he only got four years. What do you think? Which side do you think wanted the four years? Because I think he did. I think he looked at, at what the, I mean, like these guys are calculated. Their agents are very calculated. What does the defense market look and look like in four years? Yeah, I don't that's, know. That's totally valid. I, I think if you go that way, though, you you go two or three, right? Like, I just – is 30 years old the time to really be like, okay, that's when I'm going to get a big contract? Yeah, free. look how much money gets thrown at 32-year-olds on free agent frenzy day. I know, no, I know. But it's less now than it used to be, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's the, the trend is – we're trending away from that a little bit. We're trending away from that because of the current cap situation. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's – absolutely the case and it's something that will you know the league's going to adapt to more money being available for sure i don't think it's going to adapt as much as as much as we all keep talking about it adapting like a couple million here and there isn't going to change everything 
no, it's not. It's we we're gonna need to see a significant jump, which the next CBA will be big. So we'll move on here. James and I talked about doing or James pitched to me that we do um a rookie a team that will think that we think will be impactful. And I told him that I don't think that every team will have a rookie we can do. So we're going to go best new player per team or new player we think will have the biggest impact on their team. Um, this is just for this season. So for the Washington Capitals, it's not, or sorry, for the Philadelphia Flyers, it's not Matt Vimichka. For the Washington Capitals, it's not Ryan Leonard. For Montreal, it's not David Reinbacher. It is, we're just talking the best new player as far as what the impact will be on their respective teams. Do you want to go alphabetically? Yeah, I think alphabetically is the best way to go. I'll let you take it away. All right, Anaheim Ducks. It's an easy one for me because I do think Leo Carlson makes this team. He's a rookie. Yeah, I think Leo Carlson ends up in the top six for the Anaheim Ducks. I think if he plays with Trevor Zegras, everybody's going to very quickly realize that Carlson's going to center that line. I've said this on this podcast before. I think Trevor Zegras is an exceptionally talented player. I don't think he's a centerman. <laughs> I think he's a winger because as a centerman, you need to do something A, off the puck, and B, in your own zone. And I've never seen Trevor Zegras do anything in either of those situations. So I think Zegras will benefit having Carlson as a center and Troy Terry will benefit playing with the two of them. I mean, on my end for Anaheim, I actually think it's Alex Kalorin. I think with the leadership and experience he's going to bring in there and kind of the calming presence for a team that's going to be seemingly in the basement uh, yet again. I think uh, I think the the intangibles he brings to this roster is more valuable than just about anything else that can come in. Arizona's easy. It's Logan Cooley. I think Logan Cooley is going to be... I don't It's think Logan he, Cooley. I completely agree. I can't even say anything that you're not going to say. Well, I don't think he's going to play on the first line. I think we're going to see Clayton Keller play the wing, much like Barrett Hayden. Or sorry, much like, sorry, uh, Trevor Zegras. Clayton Keller is a winger. <laughs> but he's going to play with the aforementioned Barrett Hayden and Nick Schmaltz, I think. And then you'll see Cooley. I think a Michelli Cooley, Dylan Gunther second line is gross. I think that's really cool. And I think that's what we're going to end up seeing. We'll get their veterans in the bottom six in Arizona. Yeah, the Coyotes are interesting. They're intriguing because I, after that draft they just had, I don't want to praise them too much because I do think I like the Simashev pick. I thought the Daniel Boot pick was stupid, um, but I think they'll be okay. I'm 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 interested to see how this goes. What do you have for Boston? Because I know you said you have Cooley for Arizona. Um, Boston, it's very situational just because I don't know who else is going to be able to make an impact. I think Morgan Geeky is going to prove to be more valuable than just about anything else they've acquired. Um, just because of the holes they have at center. I think like there's a slight chance he can play up. This is a gamble, but maybe. I had two names. I was just going to talk about the one you didn't talk about. One of them was Morgan Geeky. The other one was Jesper Bokvist. Bokvist is a pretty talented player. He didn't really get a chance to break out in Ari's, or in New Jersey. Sorry, um, Pavel Zaka, Charlie Coyle, Morgan Geeky, Jesper Bokvist. That four centers could really be arranged in any way. Coyle and Zaka could still play the wing, right? So we'll see how this goes in Boston. It's a massive question. Everything in Boston is a massive question mark this year. What do you have for the Buffalo Sabres? 
For the Buffalo Sabres, uh, what I have is very similar to what I said for the Anaheim Ducks. I'm going Eric Johnson. His experience and leadership and personality is invaluable, and I think uh, what he can teach uh, mentally and physically uh, in terms of just training and br- uh, bringing professionalism to the table is uh, going to prove to be a massive benefit for that very young decor. Former first overall pick and things didn't really go very first overall pick like, but he st- was still a serviceable, serviceable NHL player for a long time. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to be able to teach these guys a lot of lessons about what it means to be a pro. Yeah, I mean, we talked about him already. I have Devin Levi. I think he fills a uh, a hole for the Buffalo Sabres. I think he's a very, very talented player, very, very steady, calm. I I can't say enough good things about him. I I think it's a slam dunk for the Sabres. Other than Levi, I'd say Connor Clifton for similar reasons, but I just think Clifton's going to play higher in the lineup. I think you're going to see Matias Samuelson with Dalene and then Clifton play with power. Um, and I think Clifton's a good partner for power. I think that fits really well. For the Calgary Flames, I have an interesting one because Calgary is kind of all over the place. Uh, you got Matt Coronado coming in, but honestly, James, this is, is going to be a bold take. I actually think by the end of the season, we're going to have Dustin Wolf as the starting goaltender for the Calgary Flames. Jakob Markstrom's been very inconsistent during his tenure with Calgary. I think Dan Vladar is going to get traded at some point before the season to a team that really needs a goalie that can be a 1A or a 1B. And I think Wolf ends up getting that spot. And if he plays anything close to the way he played in the AHL last year, you're going to have something significant. Matt Coronado, for the rookie side of it, would be the obvious choice. He signed out of college, and he'll probably get a top-nine role with this Calgary Flames team who lost to Foley for Sharon Govich, who will be a good player. I just don't see Sharon Govich's ceiling being too high. I'm taking Coronado. I think his playing style could really mesh with an Elias Lindholm and or, and or you know, like, think about it. If Coronado ends up on a line with Huberto and or Lindholm, this could be like a sneaky, like, fringe Calder kind of guy. Obviously not going to win it, but like, could end up a nominee. Well, in a normal year, I'd agree with you. There's too many good rookies this year, though. Like, there's a lot of guys. Um, For the Carolina Hurricanes, I have Michael Bunting. This is a guy, again, like, the Carolina Hurricanes need some wingers in that top six. And I I think Seth Seth Jarvis is going to take the step that he was supposed to take last year, this year. And then I think Bunting ends up filling out that top six winger spots it'll be Jarvis Natchez Svechnikov and Bunting and I think Michael Bunting fits in well he's a hurricane to me and I think he'll he'll excel there I kind of want to cheat for this one um I'm picking a healthy Andre Svechnikov yeah that's valid <laughs> because they didn't have that and in the playoffs and that was needed in the playoffs and I think a healthy Andre Svechnikov is the biggest thing that they could pick up um do we need to do Chicago yes yes we do Okay, it's Connor Bedard. Like, okay, no, no, no. Okay, can we do Chicago without Bedard? Chicago without Bedard. I didn't really prepare for that, but go then, I guess. <laughs> Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall, and Connor Bedard are just gonna pass it back and forth, and then eventually it's gonna tap into the net. It's gonna be nice, and then one of them's gonna just have a nice little shot. I think. I think if Hall can maybe uh, get a little bit of that foot speed back. I, like he's not a slow skater by any means right now, but I think if like uh I, I think if he can get an extra step back, I think him playing with Bedard would be awesome. Well, and you know what's interesting about you saying that I 
in the preparation for not just this episode, but for things we can talk about going into the season as we, by the way, as we are going to try and do once a week episodes going forward. Um, I did a list of breakout candidates and my Chicago Blackhawk breakout candidate is Lucas Reichel, because I think he is going to really excel on that top line on the right with Taylor Hall on the left and Connor Bedard down the Totally. Right. Totally. I think that line is, is that line is going to emerge very quickly as a very, very serious threat um, for the Colorado avalanche, your Colorado avalanche. It's that second line center spot that really, to me, I'm looking at that team and I'm thinking it's up for the take. And I think, and I think Ross Colton is going to seize that. Ross Colton is a guy for the Tampa Bay Lightning that was very, very good in all situations, stepped in, kind of was in the shadow of some superstars there. I think Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Drouin as a reunion on that first line is going to be very interesting. But I think Colton ends up on the second line with Lekkanen and, and Valerie Nachushkin in the absence of Gabriel Landeskog. Or Miko Rantanen. They split, they split up Rantanen and McKinnon a lot. Yeah, I I did have Rantanen as the one RW. And if, between Rantanen and Nachushkin, they're both capable yeah. in both those spots. But I think Ross Colton ends up beating out Ryan Johansson for the second-line center spot. I fully believe that. Well, uh, if you talk to some, if you talk to diehard Avalanche fans, this is not off the board whatsoever. If you talk to uh, normal people or just regular hockey fans, this one's way off the board. Nikolai Kovalenko. He is Colorado's top prospect, almost without a doubt. Um, at 23 years, well, 22 years old, uh, his 22 turning 23 season in the KHL, he put up 54 points in 56 games. He's the son of former NHLer Andre Kovalenko. And if you watch his stats, he's absolutely, watch his uh, highlights, he's absolutely filthy just insanely talented and uh he has a contract to come to colorado at after the khl season okay i this isn't like news to me that this guy exists at all um i didn't expect him all year there so i didn't put him i i kind of in the back of my head had him as like a sneaky calder candidate for next year um so I, I get it, but I just don't like he's not playing all season. So I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> I think just like him showing up like 15, 20 games before playoffs. Oh, oh, man. Like that's that's all I can think about right now. So for the Columbus Blue Jackets, like there's a lot of options. Well, and here's my I kind of have like sort of a bone to pick with Kekalainen right now. I don't know. To me. I feel the very same way towards Columbus's defense core as I did towards Detroit's where like, I love, oh, I, except that they're a lot better. Yes. I love David Juracek. I think if David Juracek had the opportunity this year to be the number one guy in Columbus, I think he would be a slam dunk Calder finalist. I think the top three of the Calder would be far and away Bedard, Levi, Juracek. Like, I love this kid. I think he's phenomenal at everything. He's offensively gifted. He's great in transition, both offensive transition and breaking up plays defensively. He's fantastic in his own zone. He's a one-man breakout. Anytime he gets the puck in the corners or behind his own net, there's never a mistake. I love, love, love this player so much. But... Wierenski, Severson, Provorov, Peek, Goodbranson, Boakvist, Bean are seven NHL defensemen 
not named David Juracek on this team already. And they just went out and got Severson and Provorov. So it's not like those guys aren't going to be in the top three with Wierenski. Good Branson is making way too much money not to play. And you've got an Adam Boakvist that you're kind of looking at. It's now or never for him. So I just don't see Juracek getting the chance this year. So I have to go Adam Fantilli. I think Adam Fantilli will be a top six center without a doubt in my mind. He'll be, he'll finish the season between Goudreau and Lion A. And I think that situation for him is going to be superb. He proved in the NCAA that he plays an NHL ready game. The guy's a bulldog. The guy's talented. He's, he's a hard worker. He's good on both ends of the puck. And honestly, Columbus, I know I said it. I, I think between that strong defense and a sneaky good top six, they're they're coming faster than people realize. I I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Um, and I I hope it's Fantilli because I will be picking him in fantasy. I trade for a very high pick in my draft, uh, and because I have a keeper league, and I need uh, I need to reinvigorate the fellows. And um, I'm going a different route. I think uh, I think having two extremely solid D pairs that can play against teams, top players every night is extremely effective. And I think a top of his game, I've like refresh Ivan Provorov is worth a lot. I think that is very good. We, it, it remains to be seen whether we're going to get that in Columbus. Like if we're going to see that first few years of Ivan Provorov as a pro, um, I hope we see it. I really hope we do because that guy has immense talent and drive. It's just like it kind of fizzled out at the end in Philly. Ivan Provorov could be one of the top three best defensemen in the NHL or one of the worst defensemen you've ever seen play. And it can be, it can change from one shift to the next. Like, and it's so all over the place. So I think it's, yeah, it completely depends what version of Provorov will consistently show up for the Columbus Blue Jackets. For Dallas, it's not, there's not a lot of options. There's really only a couple. And I think you kind of have to say it's going to be Matt Duchesne. Like Wyatt Johnston is obviously their rookie last year, and he's probably the most likely to take another huge step forward. Um, Duchesne supplements what is a very strong top nine to me. You know, like Joe Pavelski still still going. And, you know, that it's it's an old, it's an old forward core. And it's, you know, Jamie Ben, Evgeny Dadanoff, Tyler Sagan, Joe Pavelski, and Matt Duchesne in that top nine are all not young players. But I think it's going to be valuable for the Dallas Stars to have Duchesne in a middle six role where he can step in on the power play and he can step up when there's the inevitable injuries that are going to come with this. He's season. a killer face man, a face-off man, and his uh, his skating hasn't lost a step either. So No, and this is a guy that I didn't really understand the buyout for. Yeah, he only had 56 points in 71 games last year. He's one year removed from a career-high 43 goals, 86 points with the Nashville Predators. I didn't really yep. understand the buyout. I I like it for Dallas. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think he will end up really, really helping that secondary scoring on that team. I uh, I think if Logan Stankoven ends up making the team out of camp and plays on a third-line role, I think that is a nice boon for that team and spreads out your scoring quite a bit. Uh, so I'm going to say him if he makes the team. Yeah, I thought I, I'm I'm like 40% sure he will. You know, like I'm not super confident. Yeah, I did think about that. I mm-hmm. love him, but I think he's going to take an extra year because A, the Stars forward core is too strong. And B, when you have a guy that's that small, 
you want them to get as pro ready as possible before you put them in the big leagues. So I think because Dallas is so strong, there's not going to be a rush. And because Stankoven doesn't have that NHL frame, you're going to want him to get accustomed to the AHL before he goes to the NHL. That's the way I kind of view that. Totally. And if he doesn't make it, I'm going Duchesne easy. I'm a huge Matt Duchesne fan. Yeah. For the Detroit Red Wings, again, I I talked about it already. Detroit's defense is like we talked about Petrie and Hall and Sherratt and Wallman. They also got Shane Gostas there. So Simone Edvinson, just I don't know why there doesn't seem to be a desire to have him play ever, but that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. So I guess it's going to be Alex Dabrinkit. That's a pretty easy one. They obviously also got JT Comfer for a big ticket. They got Clem Costin in a trade with the Oilers. Daniel Sprong put up a sneaky 20 goals last year. But I think Dabrinkit playing with Larkin and Raymond, that has the potential. Alex Dabrinkit has... He scored 40 goals a couple of times. I think he has the potential to absolutely explode on that line. And if it's not going to be Edvinson as the rookie, then I guess it does have to be Debrinket for sure. I would love for it to be Edvinson as the rookie, but I think they've clogged it up too much, uh, as we've said, unless unless Jake Wallman is just a stopgap and he's going to get flipped, uh, which is very possible. Um uh, no, but I'm going JT Comper. I think having depth up the middle and a uh, strong center for young wingers to end up playing with, I think that's uh, I think that's a really solid benefit. For the Edmonton Oilers, I'm going to take Connor Brown. I think Zach Hyman, Connor McDavid, and Connor Brown on that first line. Like I think Brown could really like he could be pretty much exactly what Hyman is, where it's just you do the right things, and because you're playing with Connor McDavid, it will end well for you and for me I really really liked Connor Brown he's had a lot of unlucky injuries and a lot of just things that haven't gone his way in the last couple years but this is a guy who scored 20 goals twice for a reason he's got some talent he's got a scoring touch and at 29 years old for a cheap ticket I sky's the limit why not and then if that's your first line and you've got Nugent Hopkins dry side and Evander Kane as your second line you're rolling out two Two units that can score and two units that can really cause some havoc for the opposition. Even though we played 51 games last year, I think I want to say Dylan Holloway. I still think of him as a rookie, even though he's not. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I've got some confidence that he can make an impact this year. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. For Holloway, I I just I don't see I don't see the path to that top six role in Edmonton. I think if the Oilers were in a oh strong, middle six for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I I know I I think the Oilers are too strong for him to have that logical path to it. Um, I have kind of an interesting one for the Florida Panthers. You go first. For Florida, yeah. it's Oliver Ekman Larson. <laughs> Why? It is. It is no joke. No joke. <laughs> I actually think he's going to be really good for them. I think he ends the season as a healthy scratch. All right. Well, I want to bet 10 bucks on it that he's a healthy scratch at the end of the year. Yeah, sure. I think he gets health bombed before the season's over. Okay. No, no, no. What's the criteria? So like the last game of the season, he's a healthy scratch. No, three has to be at least three games of him being healthy. Three games in a row of him being a healthy scratch at any point in the season. Okay. Yeah. Deal. 10 bucks. Yeah. Virtual handshake. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, James, he was, he's awful. He can't play hockey. <laughs> I think he's coming back to life. 
I um, think he's going to be useful. I think the easy answer here is Evan Rodriguez because he has the ability to play anywhere in the lineup. He can play, he could be a very effective bottom six forward. He can be on the first line with Barkov and Reinhardt or Barkov and Kachuk or like if Verhage and anybody, you know what I mean? Like he could be, he could be anything you need him to be. He's the definition of Swiss Army knife. Yeah, I'm going Grigory Denisenko. I've been high on this guy for a while. Really? I liked him a lot when he was in junior. Are they ever going to let him play? I think they're going to let him play. I think really. Gonna, I think he's going to uh, make the top nine this year in the Florida Panthers organization. I will I, believe it when I see it. Him yeah. playing more than a few games in a row is just yeah. a wild idea to me. He has all the talent in the world. I just can't picture him playing at all. Yeah. 36 points in 56 games in the AHL last year. I think it's finally happening for Denisenko. I like him a lot. He's very talented. He's strong. He's not super tall, but he's he's built. And I I don't know. I again, this is kind of like my this is kind of like my Alexi Lafreniere thing with the Rangers, where I'm just gonna keep being like it's him until it actually is him. <laughs> and yeah, why not? LA. I have two. And I assume again, this is the other one for me where I was gonna just pick the one that you didn't pick so you go first no you go first okay i'll go brant clark then because i think with drew doughty on the you know on the kind of twilight of his maybe not twilight of his career but definitely the twilight of his you know prime as a solid top four defenseman i think brant clark finishes the season actually you know what i'm going to say finishes the season i think it takes less than 20 games for brant clark to be the number one defenseman in la this guy had an absolutely disgusting... Aiden, that's a sizzling take. Drew Doughty's still very good. I know, but this guy in the OHL last year was gross. He had an unprecedentedly, like, 23 goals in 31 games. This guy's a freaking defenseman. 61 points in 31 games. That is unreal for a... That's, uh, it's only happening if Doughty gets injured. I think Clark beats Doughty early in the season. I love this guy a lot. Hey, you're talking about unseating a 33-year-old Lock Hall of Fame defenseman who hasn't lost much of a step and put up 52 points in 81 games this past season and 31 points in 39 games the season before. Okay, what's your definition of a number one? Plays in all situations, dependent on in all situations, can be put on the ice when it matters most. Okay, because I... And, and he's at least one of your top two defensemen in minutes. Okay, then then maybe I rein it back a little bit. I think Doughty's going to play more. I think Clark will finish the season with more points. He'll finish the season on the first power play unit, and he'll finish the season as the more leaned-on guy when they're down, right? Well, I you took Clark, so I have to take Dubois. Yeah, and if you had taken Clark, I would have taken Dubois. So PLD is, is, is one. Who's playing more minutes, Dubois or Dano? I, it's complicated because you got Kopitar it's there too. I think really it's really complicated. Kopitar. I didn't say Kopitar because I think he plays more minutes than than maybe both of them. You know what? I think it's Dubois, and then I think I think the reason for that is Kopitar and Dano are too similar right now. And they should play. They should play seven D and seven D and eleven forwards and rotate wingers for the th- <laughs> uh, and have three centers out. <laughs> Those three guys should play twenty minutes each. Yeah, I wouldn't actually hate that. Well, and Quinton Byfield has to be a winger. Yep. <laughs> like, it, it has to happen. Or Dubois, one of the two. Hey, we're spending too much time on LA. Next up. Yeah, like, I, I really want to see Byfield break out. But 
yeah, it's Minnesota Wild. What do we got? I don't even yeah, know. This is, I, I don't want to say a hot take because Patrick like, Maroon. That's my pick. Okay, talk about Patrick Maroon. Um, he's won three cups, and everybody loves having him around, and he's gonna bring some mojo. Okay, so from mine, Minnesota. My thinking here is Jared Spurgeon and Jonas Brodeen, Alex Goligoski are all, you know, I don't want to be sitting here saying that they're necessarily declining already, but, you know, they're they're on the back end of their careers. Kalen Addison is a guy that has already stepped in, and I think next up on that defense core is Brock Faber. Uh, Faber was a second rounder in 2020, picked by LA, and he was the primary return when Minnesota traded Kevin Fiala to the Kings. Uh, University of Minnesota the last three seasons. He's put up respectable numbers. He's played well. He played in the 2022 Olympic Winter Games with the United States. Two games in the regular season for Minnesota last year at a six-game playoff cameo. I think he ends up in the top four by the end of the season. I think he'll be quarterbacking one of the power play units. I like him for Minnesota. Again, maybe in a different year, he might be an outside colder candidate. There's just too many strong players in that race this season. But regardless, he's my guy. Yeah, you know, I, I don't fault you for that one at all. Honestly, that was probably a smarter pick than Patrick Maroon, but uh, I, I I like the big rig. So Montreal is next. What do you got? Uh, I feel like there's a lot of options, but also not many options. Like, they have a lot of guys who could slot in but likely won't um like my gut tells me to pick alex newhook because i feel like they're gonna force feed him second line minutes i agree yeah yeah i'm going with my gut that's what i'm saying i, I and i don't see like like i don't think reinbacher is gonna make an impact if he plays games this year i probably don't see reinbacher in there yet um, again, much like you did with um, with Holloway, I'm thinking I'll go Slykovsky because he didn't really have a rookie year last year. Totally I, agree. Yeah, I, I think him being on the second line with... Him and Newhook probably play together. Yeah, him, Newhook, and Josh Anderson or Brennan Gallagher on that second line. That's not bad. Or Raphael Harvey-Pennard. I think he's a fourth liner. I don't think he plays yeah, that. I think so too. Um, but yeah, I think sort of cheating's like I think he's a sick fourth guy. liner, though. I think outside chance that you see Caden Gooley make the team, maybe a little bit more than outside. Outside chance you see him make an impact in the top four. I think he'll get games for sure. I think he's definitely getting games. Yeah. So what's after Montreal? That Nashville team? Predators, baby. Well, I know what yours is, so I'm not going to pick him. Mine is Ryan O'Reilly. That's yeah, the thank you. Thank you for listening. If yeah. you listen to this podcast, you know he's one of my favorite players of all time. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't pick him knowing you would. Luke Angel and sorry, Luke Evangelista is my guy. Second rounder in 2020 by Nashville. Crazy, crazy last season two years ago with the London Knights, his final season a junior. 41 points in 49 games with Milwaukee last year, had a 24-game cameo, 15 points in that time. I think he ends up getting definitely top nine minutes, probably top six minutes on this Nashville Predators team. I think he's going to be good. Well, yeah, I mean, him and Tommy Novak, who would be my pick if he didn't play like 40-something games, 
Um, and Cody Glass all made crazy good impacts last year while while some key forwards were either injured or traded. And uh, yeah, I I would have picked Tommy Novak. I am a huge Tommy Novak fan. I almost considered keeping him in my keeper league because I'm that confident in Tommy Novak. I made memes about him in my keeper league group chat. Uh, one of them was uh, uh, it was it was him next to Princess Leia, and she's and uh, and it was because I was trying to get from fourth to third place so I could get my prize money back. And uh, um, it said, "Help me, Tommy Novak. You're my only hope." It's so funny. Yeah. New Jersey, I'm not going to go to Foley because I think it needs to be Luke Hughes. Like, this is another one of those guys that stepped in last year, had a pretty strong impact in the regular season. He looked good in the games he played. Didn't play too much in the playoffs, but in the couple games he got at the end of the regular season, he looked good. This guy's going to get some points, 48 points in 39 games at the University of Michigan last year. That was after he scored 17 and 41 the year before. He's he's very good, and he will get at least second-pair minutes, if not potentially first-pair minutes on this Devils team. I have him in my top five of Calder candidacy. I'm going Akira Schmid. That's my pick because you took Luke Hughes and because I don't want to – I've – I've taken too many vets. I've taken far too many vets and I want to get a little bit more rookie centric as we round this out. And uh, my, my gut told me to go with uh, a full season of Timo Meyer, but that's cheating again. Okay. I'm really interested in what your Islanders pick is going to be. Hmm. I have one, <laughs> um, but there wasn't a plethora of options. <laughs> There isn't much because Lou just locked up all the boys forever. Yeah, which was interesting to say the least. But What's yours? William Dufour, 21-year-old right winger, had a solid season with the Bridgeport Islanders last year. This is a guy last year in the queue, which was the year before last. 56 goals and 116 points in 66 games. He's got the skill. 21 goals and 48 points in 69 games of the Bridgeport Islanders. I'm looking at this forward core and... Uh, there's if you can get into the top 12 like honestly James this forward core like Bo Horvat is a top six forward and Matthew Barzell is a first line player other than that you have a bunch of guys that could play anywhere for the season you have a bunch of guys that could be first liners or fourth liners so I think if Dufour ends up in the top 12 he could move up pretty quickly just because of the nature of that Islanders forward core He's got skill. He's a hard worker. He's 6'2", 215 or something like that. Like he's he, He's got the NHL frame. He was a world junior player for Canada in 2022. I like him. I'll take him. Okay. <clears throat> this is really thin, isn't it? There's nobody. <laughs> oh. You know, I looked at them last night just thinking like, you know, maybe I'll find someone. And I was like, you know, Holmstrom is only 22, but that's that's nothing. That's not anything. Um, maybe Carson Kuhlman gets 15 goals on their third line. Maybe. That's all I got for you, buddy. Yeah, there's not a lot for the Rangers either. Like, there's a few guys, more guys at least. Um, I think Nick Benino and Tyler Pitlick end up with fourth line roles, at least bottom six roles for both of them. Um, I think Blake Wheeler probably is in that boat as well, but I think Wheeler 
for me, the Wheeler effect is can Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere really learn from him, right? Can he be the mentor to those wingers to for them to take a step? And that's why I'm picking Wheeler. You know, I had a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts like, oh, can I pick this rookie to take a step? Can I, I mean, I picked it, sorry, this young player to take a step. Can I, can I pick this vet who just popped in? And I think for the third year in a row, I'm going to pick Lafreniere to break out. Yeah. Now. Is that cheating? Yes, totally. hundred percent. But the thing is, what else am I going to pick? Am I going to take Eric Gustafson? No, I always have Lafreniere for my like I have a list of breakout candidates below my list of best player per team. And for Jersey, it is it is Lafreniere, I think, without a doubt. For the Um, Rangers, you said Jersey. No, sorry. Yeah, for New York. And yeah, I, I. I'm hoping because I'm high on him, I really like him as a player for Ottawa. Oh, sorry, but if I if I have to actually follow the rules of the game we've created and uh, pick a new player, it's Blake Wheeler. It's undoubtedly Blake Wheeler. Okay. Senators, I'm torn. There is the piece of me that's like, it has to be Corpus Salo just because that's the hole they mm. need filled. But I really like Ridley Grieg. I do too. I actually really enjoy his game. Yeah. He didn't do too much in his 20-game cameo last year. But I think another year under his belt, a lot of AHL experience because he he last year was his first year of pro. So mm. he played 20 games in the NHL with Ottawa, two goals, nine points, 39 games with Belleville in the AHL, 39 games, 29 points. I think his second year as a pro, he'll take a step. I think he'll be a top nine forward for Ottawa by the end of the season. I think he's going to knock either Kubalik or maybe Matthew Joseph down a couple of pegs in that uh, in that depth chart, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, Daily Faceoff already has him above Joseph and putting him on the third line. That's bold. Matthew Joseph's a pretty good player. Like he is a pretty good player. Grieg um, has to really do I, something special. To... Ridley Grieg was my choice too, so I'm going to pick Tarasenko because I think if his body is not falling apart, I think Tim Stutzler could have him score 35 goals. Oh, Did... Philly, I have a lock. I'm easy, easy, easy money. I have an interesting one, I think. What were you going to say? Can I say? go first so you don't take mine? Yeah, go. Tyson Forrester, undoubtedly. Small sample size last year, but the guy produced just shy of a point per game. He's got a really solid frame. Uh, he's going to have all the opportunity in the world this year. Uh, he's like, Torts clearly liked him. Philly just didn't want to burn another year of his contract. He is ready to roll. Like This guy is going to come in and I think put up between 40 and 55 points this year. I completely agree with you. Like that was my gut reaction too, was to say Forster. The one I'm really interested to see, because again, this was another guy much like, um, much like Gregory Denisenko. I put this Denisenko and Ryan Paling in the same category. Ooh. I just think the fit hasn't been there for Paling. He's 24 now. This it's the now or never, and Philly's bad enough that he could move up that lineup. He could. I would bet on Forster before Paling, but since you said... Especially that, because Couturier is reportedly ready to play this year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be tough, but I think I think he's got the chance, probably more so to move up in the wing because no yeah. one places a lock on that third-line center. There's no moving him. No, and no, he's, he's very good. He's superb. And then Morgan Frost and Sean Couturier are your one-twos in either order. Um 
So I God, Morgan Frost at two. I like Morgan Frost. Yeah, I do too. But you know how many times he's traumatized me by putting up three points in two games and then I pick him up in fantasy and then he gets nothing in 10 games and I drop him? Yeah, he had he had a good year last year though. Like that was him and Owen Tippett both proved that they are top six forwards in the NHL. They have a lot of wingers competing for ice time. They got Farabee, Tippett, um, Travis Konechny doesn't have to compete. He's already there. Yeah. Uh, Forrester, Cam Atkinson. Yeah. Like that's that's uh, four pros- prospective top six wingers. I mean, sorry, five prospective top six wingers. Um, Pittsburgh, what do you got? Pittsburgh, it has to be EK65. He is he is uh, the most valuable asset incoming. But, but I'm not going to take him. Pittsburgh's bottom six has been a joke for the past couple of years. Uh, undoubtedly, they there's just no there's no consistency to it. They put it in the blender. They shuffle guys in, shuffle guys out. Nola Chari is an unreal pickup for them. So is Matt Nieto. I'm taking Achari though. I love Achari. I like Nieto. Rem Pitlick is good. Lars Eller's yeah. good. You yeah. Might finally see a consistent Alexander Nylander in that lineup. I know that might be a little bit uh, wishful thinking. I think his game could mesh decent with Eller, but I'd like them to give him a shot in the top six. Yeah, he's 25 years old. This was an eighth mm. overall pick. He had one season in Chicago where he looked like he was a player and then got hurt and COVID didn't help him. So, yeah, we'll see with Nylander. Again, it's Carlson. If it's not Carlson, it's any one of those bottom six guys because I agree with you. That's big for Pittsburgh. What do you got for these San Jose Sharks? I Again, I think this is pretty obvious to me anyways i have wishful picking with the sharks what do you got i really hope philip sedina does something because he told us after he was drafted that he was going to fill the net and i'm still waiting and i would love to see it i think the guy brought some swagger before he was drafted i think uh i think you know some injuries some management decisions maybe we don't know what happened behind closed doors but Stuff happened and it didn't work out in Detroit. And I think the guy had crazy talent, but it just hasn't come together. And he needs to bring in some new habits. And you look at their general manager, Mike Greer, and you look at some of the veterans that they have there, like Logan Couture, who just exudes professionalism. And I think uh, I think you might be able to revive a Philip Zadina. Nice little reclamation project. I have him as my breakout candidate for San Jose, but I think William Eklund's going to make a bigger impact. Oh, yeah. Eklund is sick. Yeah, he's a very good player. I think he's a top six lock. Um, yeah, he's 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 great. Like, there's nothing wrong with his game. Like, yeah, he's maybe maybe it's that he doesn't play. Like, he plays small. He isn't that small. He's five eleven, but he plays kind of small. But that's not uh, right. Like, he'll by halfway through the season that'll be worked on. Right. So totally. yeah, I like him a lot. I I completely completely agree with everything you said about Zadina though I really really liked him as a prospect and I think he has he has the potential here honestly before we move on uh Shakir Mukumadulin might have been a decent pick as well yeah I again that was another guy that I looked at in the 2020 draft and I was hesitant on but you can't deny the physical attributes the guy has um okay Seattle is interesting there's two guys to me that stand out what do you got I think it's the Shane Wright revenge tour. I, I think this guy is going to put up like 50 points, maybe 40. 
Uh, probably 40, 40. I think 40 is better, better bet. I think he's going to start the year on like the third line, but an offensive third line because they have offensive middle six forwards. And then I think by the end of the year, he's going to be a second line forward. I, 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 I have confidence in Shaner. I, I really like the guy. I really want him to succeed. Maybe my want for him to succeed is blinding me, but I think he's ready. I think it's time. I think last year was a bit of a rush and he was playing like, like four minutes a night. So yeah, I think Shane Wright, I actually am probably a little bit higher on him than you are from the sounds of it. I think he starts as the second line center. I think he will be, I think out of camp. I Well, like he he's going to have a- Danny yeah, Gord's a bulldog, dude. Well, yeah, but I, I like Gord on the third line with like a, a Bjork strand, right? Like I, I, I think because Seattle's top nine is so dynamic, you can, like, I think the first line, Jared McCann and Matthew Beneers are going to be there for sure. I think yeah. the size limit from there. I think Shane Wright and Andre Burakovsky make a sick pairing on that second line. That's the way. I totally. Um, the other one I was going to say is Kyler Yamamoto, kind of in a similar vein to Wright, like the revenge tour aspect. He was all over the map in Edmonton, and then nobody wanted him. Like Detroit basically were paid Clem Costin to take his contract and then didn't resign. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I or bought him out. Yeah, they bought him out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yamamoto. I think um, I I do just want to uh just before we leave Seattle though I do want to give quick props to Ty Cartier. This guy will likely not make this team, but he came in in the playoffs and he was so much better than expected. And uh, it that that pains me to say as an Avalanche fan because he scored a couple big goals. But yeah, he uh, he probably won't make this team, but he probably deserves to be in the NHL. So. Okay, so for St. Louis, there's both not an obvious one, but a lot of options. Are we saying Jakob Verana is a new player? Uh, didn't he play like 15, 20 games with them? He did play 20 games with them. Okay, I think 20 games is a benchmark. We've taken too many vets. Yeah, okay. I was <laughs> I was going to go Joel Hofer because I think Ben Bennington sucks. So I think Joel Hofer will win the backup spot in camp and then win the starter spot by Christmas. Uh, I think that's like one of the best storylines of our podcast is me being pro Bennington and you being against Bennington. I just cannot stand him. Um, Jake Neighbors, Kevin Hayes, both could have been in this conversation, but I had two names down. One of them was Hofer. That was my number one. I've been high on this guy forever. One injury to that defense core. And a healthy Scott Perunovic could really step in and make a difference. Scott Perunovic has... Yeah, had... but one more injury to an unhealthy Scott Perunovic, and he will never make a difference. Yeah, like this guy's been riddled with injuries since he left Minnesota Duluth. Is he not 25 now? He is 25 now. Like, this, the, this is a guy that looked like a great prospect and just couldn't stay healthy. Point per game in the AHL over the last two seasons he played there, but he's only mustered 39 games in the AHL. Oh, like uh, some eventually, man. Eventually, it's gonna happen for him. St. Louis's defense is strong, but I think he, I think he could supersede Scandella. And as soon as he's in, he automatically becomes probably their best puck moving defenseman. It's kind of weird to me, but on paper, St. Louis isn't bad. No, they're not. I have them on the outside looking in. Yeah, um, they're not as bad as I thought they were. Uh, but I am taking Jake Neighbors. Uh, I think. I think uh, with a really impressive camp and uh, and 
consistently impressing Craig Berube, I think he could take Brandon Saad's spot on the second line with Braden Shea. What do you have for 10? If he's, playing, if he's playing with Kevin Hayes instead, that's awesome too. Yeah, no, I, I think he will play with Kevin Hayes actually. Yeah. Um, what do you have for Tampa? Interesting one. Very interesting one. Uh, see, Tampa's kind of odd to me. Like, you you look at that roster, and it's kind of hard for certain guys to actually make an impact. Um, I want to say, I have to confirm this very quickly before I actually say it. Okay. I think Alex Bariboulet actually ends up on this team and doesn't end up a waiver casualty they reclaimed him on purpose okay like i think i think you put him one injury to this tampa lineup i think he's a very solid player incredibly offensively talented john cooper clearly didn't trust him in multiple ways um it i it's really really hard to say at the same time i don't feel like they really added much much of anything really in fact usually they're just subtracting so i yeah i like barry boulet but they do most of their additions during the season and that's kind of messing me up like i don't really feel like picking connor sherry that's boring i don't even know if barry boulet is gonna play but i don't really want to pick connor sherry i think sherry ends up on the second line so that's probably my pick but i love barry boulet the guy's absolutely disgusting in the AHL. Yep. Puts up points like nobody's business in that league. Um, he's crazy good. So I, I also just noticed that Tampa Bay ended up with uh backup goaltender Jonas Johansson. Jonas Johansson. Yeah, yeah. Who was yeah. who Colorado has had three times. I think Buffalo's had twice. He's always a waiver casualty. And uh, you know what? I think I'm changing my pick to picking him so he has a nice place to stay. For the Leafs, I think I'm just going to take Maddie Nyes. I think that's just my best bet because I would like to lean towards rookie. Uh, I do think his role is going to be diminished because they added Tyler Bertuzzi. And I think Tyler Bertuzzi will be the most effective ad. Uh, but Tyler Bertuzzi took a one-year deal. He's coming to Toronto to play awesome and then get paid crazy on the open market next year. That's exactly what he's doing. Matty Nyes will be a part of the Maple Leafs going forward. So that's who I'm taking. Also, rest in peace, Rodion Amirov. I forgot oh, to mention that. That's yeah. really unfortunate. Um, it's uh, awful news for the hockey world, for for him, for for his family, for, for just everyone involved. I, I, uh, I, I feel very sorry for that young man who had a lot of life left to live. Yeah, I... I was gutted to hear that. Like, this is a guy you could tell when you watched him play was just so full of energy and so happy to be on the ice. And it just, yeah, that's very sad news. It, it's just, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, As far as Toronto's roster this year goes, I might be in the minority. I have Matthew Nyes not playing a top six role. Um, He's obviously the rookie. I think both Tyler Bertuzzi. I love Max Domi, man. I think Max Domi ends up in that top six. Who's in charge of your third line? I love David Camp. I okay. love David Camp, and I think it ends David up. David Camp going to run the offensive portion of your third line as well. Nice Camp Yarm Croak is perfect. I love that as a third line. It's not bad. Yeah, I think that. I think I want Domi there, 
on that line to add more spark to it, but. For the Vancouver Canucks, I don't really see them bringing in like a rookie this year. Like Nils Amon was kind of like a weird, didn't expect him to make it than he did guy last year. Um, Philip Peronik feels like cheating because he was an off, he was an in season. I don't think he's cheating. I, I, I'll give you the pass on that one. Yeah. Well, it's Heronic or Susie. Like it doesn't, it's you're, you're, I think you're splitting hairs between the two of them. Um, they both play different roles, but they're both going to be top four defensemen in Vancouver. Um, the Canucks obviously needed defensive help. Ian Cole, Philip Heronic, Carson Susie. I think we do finally see Christian Willanen into that top six. Um, unfortunately, I think the Jack Rathbone ship has sailed in Vancouver. I think he needs a different scenario. I think there's a version of Jack Rathbone that goes somewhere else and excels. And I kind of just want that for him, but it's, it's been a pretty tumultuous time for him since he left Harvard for the Canucks organization. So I do kind of hope he gets a trade. Vancouver gets a mid round pick and he can find a spot that he'll excel. But yeah, for me, it's Susie Heronic. It doesn't really matter. I'll probably say Heronic because he's got more two way upside than Susie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I do really, really look back to seeing how useful Ian Cole was in Colorado and Pittsburgh. And he is a a steadying presence on your bottom pair. Like, he's a very useful guy to have around. Yeah, nothing wrong. Um, But I'm going to take Suter. I'm going to take Pia Suter. That's a good one. I don't see any rookies really jumping in. And honestly, um, I mean, just like my one Canucks note, I, I... I am no longer excited about Vasily Podkolzin or Niels Oglander. I don't really care anymore. Yeah, they have to really show something. They're on their last chances. Um, yeah, they've gone other... from being high-value prospects to like a flip for not much if you move them. The other one for Vancouver, if Demko gets hurt again, Arthur Seelovs, I think, is ready. Yeah! He'll be the backup this year. If Demko wasn't there, like I picked Hofer because I think he'll beat out Bennington. I don't think Seelovs is going to beat out uh, Demko, but if Demko gets hurt, he could really prove himself this year. Who do you have for Vegas? Because this is kind of a... This is a tough one, eh? I think I have a hot take. Um, But you go. Unless you want me to go. I The thing is, I don't really see like new faces really cracking this roster they had so much depth that they like they already had all of these guys i think uh i think paul cotter is a really useful player and i think looking at their depth right now i think he will continue to be useful um i really like brett howden as well i didn't really care for him before but like he's already on that team like these guys are all already on that howden's howden's not new howden was my breakout candidate um, yeah, um, like no one feels new to me. Okay, and we're obviously not like reporting anything here. We also like uh, I do feel obliged to mention that picking a breakout candidate or somebody new that's going to make an impact off that 2018 World Junior roster is still risky. And Brett yep. Howden is one of those guys. So avoiding Howden. Okay, so now here's the thing. Howden, for that reason, is one of a few guys that maybe doesn't finish the season on this forward core because you have some of the most injury-prone players in the NHL and or currently hurt players like Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, right? Like, you, these guys have histories. So I think Vegas, again, if 
the unfortunate happens to those guys and you have some injury problems, I think first guy up from the Henderson Silver Knights is University of Michigan product Brendan Brisson. He was there 29 in the 2020 NHL draft. Very solid. First, pardon? Brisson. Pretty solid first full season with uh, Henderson, 18 goals, 37 points, 58 games. Had a great second year, University of Michigan, 21 goals and 42 and 38 games. He's an American forward, 5'11", 179. He plays like he's got a lot to prove. And I I think we see him in the NHL. Um, I don't think if everybody stays healthy, he'll play more than, you know, maybe a dozen games. But I like him. I think if anybody is going to jump, it's him. Interesting. Okay. You know, I didn't really think to pick him because I didn't think of him cracking the team. Uh, I have zero worries about Jack Eichel's health whatsoever. Um, knock on wood. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Stone, yeah, so obviously continually worried. Um, the guy is a warrior and has put his body on the line at every possible turn. Um, yeah, uh, I I really like your pick. I hope he gets an opportunity because he's a very talented player. Washington. Ooh, um, am I allowed to pick Rasmus Sandin? I don't yeah, think I'm late season. I don't think I'm allowed. I don't, I'm not going to give myself that. Yeah. Um, I give me give me a, a full season of third line Hendricks Lapierre. That's not a bad pick. That is not a bad pick at all. I liked Hendrick La- Hendricks Lapierre a lot. It, yeah, I. I just that's center depth for Washington. Like if they trade Kuznetsov, it opens up a bit. But isn't Nicholas Backstrom still there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. Got Dylan Strom. Mm-hmm. And they like Nick Dowd, right? Like I just Lapierre and yeah, Lapierre can play the wing, but he's a centerman. And yeah, I don't know. I just I think Washington Washington is kind of with Lapierre and McMichael the same way that we're talking about Detroit being with Edvinson, where it's just it's too many average guys clogging up the pipeline for them to come up, right? Like, it pains me to say to call Nicholas Backstrom average, but he is uh, post hip resurfacing, so like yeah. he's not well, what he used to be. And even TJ Oshie and Anthony Mantha, like those are guys. TJ Oshie's still a really solid player. Yeah, but the, those are guys that aren't what they used to be. And so I think on the defense side, I think Joel Edmondson could grow into being John Carlson's partner. Martin. Yeah, Fred totally. Played. Uh, Fehervari was there last year, but I think it could be Edmondson this year. He's a solid player. He's played good hockey everywhere he's gone. Um, Last one's the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Again, this is kind of one where I was probably just going to take the guy you didn't take. You can go first. You could pick multiple guys, and it probably won't be who I'm picking. Okay. Okay. Well, I think Gabe Velarde has a lot in him. This is a guy that I was really high on going into his draft year and then obviously got hurt. Um, ended up falling to 11th overall. LA took him. And finally, he broke out last year. I think he's got another step to take. I think we see 30 goal Gabe Velarde playing with Cole Perfetti or Nicole. Yeah, I, I I got no issue with that. Uh, um, was Rasmus Kupari on your radar? Totally. I've been super high on him as well. Like, I love this guy. And if cool, because that's not who I'm picking either. Oh, is it I follow? Or is it no? Where, what do you got? No, I have um the uh Hail Mary that Brad Lambert makes the team out of camp. Is and because they're not they're not gonna play him in a bottom six role. I've heard Lambert and Lambert. Um 
Uh, Lambert is the one I've heard the most. Lambert was uh, what I said when I was just playing NHL franchise mode early on, and he was insane. Yeah, I I thought about him. He did not adjust to North American Pro very well when he played in the AHL last year, right? So I that's what scared me off of him. I was very high on him when he was 16, and then mm-hmm. his draft year he struggled. Yeah, uh, I kind of wanted Vancouver to take him 15th overall that year, just as a bet. He ended up falling all the way to 30. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I like the pick. I just don't. I, the, I and the me. reason that I I edge this way is because. Dude, Mark Shifley could get traded by the day training camp opens up. Yeah, yeah. Like, Nikolai Ehlers is is possibly on the trading block. Like, I just, I don't... Yeah, like, there, there could be a spot open for him. It could happen. And that was my thinking towards Kupari, and I did end up saying Velarde just because I think the impact will be greater, but yeah. Velarde's already a lock at, at probably being a, at, at the very least, like, third line and power play. Very least. He'll be on the second line. I don't think... Yeah, totally, be. totally. I mean, what if their coach doesn't like him, though? Yeah. yeah. Um. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back. I know this is a long episode, but it's been a while. Um, we'll take a quick break and then we will be back. The last time we did an episode, James said we both have to bring a movie to talk about. So yep. we'll do that. Now I've watched like in this month, I've watched maybe like a dozen movies worthy of bringing. So I have to think about which one. Yep. Um, and Same. Then, but don't go anywhere. All right. Well, as Aiden said, um, I I wanted to kind of spice this up a little bit. You know, Aiden and I are both really big movie guys, spend a lot of time watching good movies, good shows. And uh, I mean, like, what better way to spend your evening when we have so much good entertainment out there? And uh, I last episode, as you said, I, I, I said, I want to bring a couple movies to the table, one each every episode, just something we've watched, because undoubtedly we have each watched a movie in the span of a week. That is pretty much something that will happen without fail. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to take us away with your pick? I think mine has to be Oppenheimer. It's the best one I've seen. Like, I've seen a lot in this month, but Oppenheimer's far and away, I think, the best one. I loved it. Christopher Nolan movies are often superb, and this is no different. Um, I've, you know, I've I've always been a, kind of a a, a history nerd. So the World War II history aspect of it, I enjoyed. And yeah, I overall, it's a very solid nine out of 10. And for me, that's that's high praise. I, I don't hand that out lightly. I'm taking a different route and partly because I haven't seen Oppenheimer. And if I had, uh, which I, I, I do plan to see it this coming Saturday, if I had seen it, it likely would have been my pick too, which would have made this all too boring. But, you know, we're in an age now where the the slapstick classic comedy is very hard to find. And this one didn't quite hit that level, but I was hopeful it would. It, it was still a really enjoyable watch. I'm bringing uh, Jennifer Lawrence No Hard Feelings to the mix. It came out, I don't know, a couple months back. And uh, I bought it on Apple TV just because I really wanted to watch it, just because it wasn't available for rent yet. They suckered me into 25 bucks, but whatever. It was worth it. Um, It's the kind of thing where, I don't know if you remember, but all those like 
2000s and 2010s slapstick raunchy comedies they all like they would grab you with something hilarious right away and they would carry it all the way through and then you know you get your couple heartfelt moments in the mix somewhere and you know that's that's kind of what you love that like that that mix all together that's what makes it memorable you were amused uh you had a couple of moments that just made you smile and then you come back to it going yeah this has good rewatch value and when i finished this movie it had good rewatch value I thought, you know what? I'd be down to show this movie to one of my friends and watch it again. I will say the one, my one knock on it is when it takes the turn to, okay, let's have some like mild heartfelt character development. It won 80s too quick. That's really the only downside to it. But in the end, it does a couple things that make you laugh towards the end of the movie again. And, uh, and it that part specifically gives it good rewatch value for me. I I would recommend it to any of my friends looking for a good comedy. It it is a mild rip off of Failure to Launch but in a more raunchy way. And that's okay. I'm totally all right with that. I uh, I do want to see more of Jennifer Lawrence in comedy and less serious roles after that. Haven't seen it but I'll put it on the list. Yeah, definitely. It's like a good watch with the girlfriend or sitting down with your buddies end of the night kind of thing like yeah, don't go into it like I want to watch something critical and amazing and, and a good character study. Just a fun watch. And I think I think uh, that's a good contrast to Oppenheimer. Like we gave you the we gave you the awesome like like historical piece and then we're giving you the just nice and easy watch. I will say the one movie I'm looking forward to the most right now is the Ridley Scott Joaquin Phoenix Napoleon movie that's coming out. That'll be intriguing. Yeah, I like a really good like war filled period piece. Like I look back to like you look back to like period pieces that we got in the early 2000s, mid 2000s like we got Gladiator. We got like we got Troy. We got like uh the the Russell Crowe Robin Hood. Stuff like that. Like that just gets my gears turning. Uh but one little extra tidbit, if I'm going to recommend any TV show right now, right now at this exact moment uh i recommend people check out winning time that's uh the showtime lakers dynasty uh it's like a kind of kind of just a story about the rise of that uh like you got adrian brody jason siegel like it's just it's it's a really quality show that's both entertaining and intriguing any sports fan or non-sports fan i don't even really care for basketball all that much but this show is awesome and uh if you got crave hbo max whatever it is it's definitely worth the watch. I think that's all we got. I think that's the episode. I think that's our comeback episode. Well, we got three questions if you want to answer them. Uh, let's take one. And no, you know what? Let's take all three. Screw it. We got time. Well, one of them's kind of a long one. I'll put this one off. So one okay. of your dream player, which is like best of each trait. So we'll do that one next time. So if you submitted that one, come back around to the next episode. We'll have something prepared. Deal. Um, hockey question. And then a personal question. Hockey question is, what's the fair contract for William Nylander? What do you think? Um, In today's NHL, probably an eight times nine. That's probably what I was going to say. Just a shade below a Kirill Kaprizov, right? Yeah, less than Ajo. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's an easy answer, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, And then biggest interest outside of sports, both of us. What do you think? What's yours? Hockey cards are inside sports, so... Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, 
Uh, okay, I'm gonna go with a stuck at home one, and I'm gonna go with uh with an out in the world one. Uh, okay, so like when I'm stuck at home, I really like, and it's been hard to find one. I'm hoping I get it soon with an upcoming game. It's uh, I really like to play like a great single player video game that's just an in- incredibly deep RPG that's gonna suck me in for like a hundred and twenty hours. Like looking back in my life, that's like Fallout Three, Elder Scrolls, stuff like that. And coming out soon is Starfield. And that, that is going to get me going. It's like auto-generating planets for you. Like that is, and it has story generating within those planets. It's just, oh, it's nuts. Just the exploration and the do whatever you want, be your own person within this universe. That, that gets my gears turning. I'm stoked about that. And then uh, the other one is, um, I've kind of gotten the... um, I've gotten the itch to travel recently, but uh, uh, one thing I always do is I go to a lot of music festivals. I I love music festivals, just getting together with some of your close friends, going to see some good music, spending a weekend together. That is, that's the peak of awesome for me in terms of enjoying things. Uh, I most recently went to a festival called Il Sonique in Montreal uh, a couple weeks back and, or a week ago. And I saw Martin Garrix. He was awesome. Um, Yeah. Montreal's great. Uh, first time ever being there uh, but yeah I like to hop around for music festivals that's definitely probably my biggest interest and thing I look forward to yearly okay yeah for me I love being outside specifically lakes beaches right I love swimming so I knew this is where you were going yeah anytime it's it's anytime I have the opportunity to go swimming outdoors that's what I will do um, but number one would have to be I'm a huge music guy and that has translated into being a big vinyl record collector um in like I in my office like my bulldog's office I have a record player and a turntable in there and I'll bring some of my records from home but at home I have like a receiver and a turntable and a shelf with like 400 records on it and it soaks up most of my time and disposable income um yeah I love it that's yeah the records would be my number one. I am going to, uh, when I finally track it down, there's a, it's like a kind of like folky electronic album that I really want on vinyl because like listening to it, I know how crisp it would sound on vinyl. When I find it, I'll grab two copies and that's going to end up being your Christmas present. Got it. Okay, deal. All right. I think now that's the episode. <laughs> I think that's it. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we plan on being back at a much more regular basis. Uh, this one was honestly a lot of fun and reminded me how great it is to do this with one of my best friends. And I just, uh, yeah, I'm stoked to sit here and talk to you guys. However, many of you are, that there are uh, once a week ish for as long as we can keep going. And so without further ado, unless I have more comment from my co-host, let's roll that outro. Cheers guys. Ah!